Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to my podcast series on Joshua. Now, in this podcast, we're going to take a look at who Joshua was and why there's a book in the Old Testament with his name on it. But actually, the first time we hear about Joshua is before the book of Joshua. We learn of him in a book called the book of Numbers. Now, Numbers is one of the first five books of the Bible that we attribute to Moses. And Joshua, we believe, was probably born around 485 B.C. And so in today's podcast, we're going to focus on his early life and why Moses would have mentioned him in this book of Numbers. And then we're going to learn about why Joshua is so essential to the eventual conquering of the promised land, which we now call Israel. The name Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua. Now, Joshua, the Bible tells us, was the son of a man named Nun, N-U-N, from the tribe of Ephraim. Now, remember in the Old Testament, in the story of Jacob, that Jacob had 12 sons, and they are the ones who then become the heads of what we call the 12 tribes of Israel. Ephraim was one of these 12 tribes. The first time Joshua is mentioned is in Numbers chapter 13. This is a story about God telling Moses to send some men to explore the promised land, the land of Canaan, which, as I said, is modern day Israel, except the footprint of the land was much larger back then than the state of Israel today. So Moses and maybe about a million or so Hebrews have been hanging out in the desert at this point for about a year. And this is after God has miraculously helped them cross the Red Sea while being pursued by the Egyptian army. And they've also received the Ten Commandments from God. They also worshipped a golden calf, which was not their most shining hour, but they've been forgiven. They built the tabernacle, which was the tent of worship that God directed them to build. And now they're ready for the next step. So God wants Moses to send a leader from each of these 12 tribes of Israel to scout out the land that God has promised to them and actually first promised to Abraham about a thousand years earlier. So in the book of Numbers, we have the story of how Moses chose the 12 leaders. And there are two of these leaders whose names we're really going to come to know. One is Caleb, and he's from the tribe of Judah. And then there's Joshua, who we said is from the tribe of Ephraim. So Moses, now this is interesting. The Bible tells us that at some point he renames Joshua. So that wasn't his original name. His real original name was Hoshea, H-O-S-H-E-A. 
And this is so interesting. The name Hoshea, it's Hebrew, and it means salvation. But the name Joshua, or as we said in Hebrew, Yeshua, that meant Yahweh, or the Lord is salvation. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why Moses changed Joshua's name from Hoshea to Yeshua. But there's a Jewish tradition that says that Moses changed Joshua's name really to imply that Joshua was going to need some special protection through God because of the conspiracy of the fellow scouts he's sending into the promised land. Well, that's a little foreshadowing. Why would Joshua need extra protection? Well, do you know the story? The story is that Moses sends these 12 men, we call them scouts, to basically go into the land and survey it. No big deal, right? If they're going to enter the land, they kind of need to understand what it looks like, what they can expect. And so the Bible tells us in Numbers 13 that the 12 scouts who were sent into the land, only two come back, Caleb and Joshua, with a favorable report. And remember, this is the land that God promised to the Hebrew people. The other 10 scouts, way less optimistic about their prospects. This is actually recorded in Numbers chapter 13, verses 26 through 29. It says, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Now, um, not literally, that's a metaphor for the land is very plentiful. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. The Bible continues. Caleb spoke up and said, well, he felt confident that they could take possession of the land. But the men only grew louder and said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread a bad report among all of the people about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. Okay, so you hear how the 10 other leaders were <laughs> definitely trying to dissuade the people from entering the land. And they mentioned the Nephilim. Now, this most likely would have frightened all of the people who knew the stories of these giant people who had lived on earth before the great flood. And they're actually mentioned in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, 
And we believe these people were possibly over nine feet tall. But isn't it funny how we think we're so far removed from the arcane life of those who lived in the time of Moses? But I'm going to ask, are we really? The masses were greatly influenced by the hyperbolic report of just a few men. This negative opinion of the land was accepted as fact. I like how my NIV study Bible describes what happened next. It says, when the chorus of despair went up and everyone joined in, their greatest fears were being realized. Giants? Yikes! Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Wait, wasn't this the land that God was giving as a gift? Had not God just performed many miracles in the desert for these people? Had God not just parted the Red Sea, given them manna and quail, appeared on Mount Sinai in the form of fire and cloud, and Oh yeah, with his own finger carved out the Ten Commandments, not once, but twice. Yet, they doubted God's goodness because of a few grumbling men. These men, by the way, the Bible tells us, basically incited an insurrection and even called for Moses to step down so they could choose a leader to send them back to Egypt. What? Okay. Hmm. Well, what did Joshua do? This is recounted in Numbers chapter 14, verses 6 through 9. It says, Now Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, Look, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he's going to lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So Joshua boldly and bravely calls out what's happening. He knows that this group of Hebrews has become afraid. Let's be honest. Fear causes us to do many crazy things and also to miss out on many blessings. Joshua reminded them to not be frightened because God was with them. And you're going to see this is really going to become Joshua's battle cry many more times. In fact, one of my favorite Bible verses is Joshua 1, 9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Well, what was the people's response? <laughs> the Bible says the whole assembly wanted to stone them. <laughs> to me, it's almost reminiscent of a Monty Python parody where the response always is, stone them, stone them. Except here, the result is far less humorous. 
So what happens is Moses has to plead to God on behalf of the people. And Moses reminds God that, God, you know, you're slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and forgiving of sin and rebellion. And then Moses also says, however, God does not leave the guilty unpunished. In fact, he punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses does implore God to, quote, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Can't you just picture Moses and his exasperation with these people? Well, there's consequences for their fear and their lack of faith. And that's recorded in Numbers chapter 14, verses 20 through 25. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs performed in Egypt and the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow, set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Uh-oh. So what has happened is Moses makes an appeal to God on behalf of this stiff-necked people, and so God doesn't destroy them. But he doesn't ignore their rebellion either. They literally have turned their back on all that God has done for them, from saving them from slavery in Egypt, taking them safely through the desert to the very edge of the promised land. So God's punishment for them is basically, I'll give you what you want. You want to hang out in the wilderness, you're going to die in the wilderness. So no one over the age of 20 was going to see the promised land. And the age of 20 was really considered adulthood. And therefore, uh, you were able to make your own decision and you're part of this rebellious group. I actually like how the authors of a website called Precept Austin describe the actions of the Hebrews in the desert. It says, the ancient Hebrews were masters of glorifying the ugly past. As slaves in Egypt, they had been desperate. Yet, after Moses led them out of bondage, they were soon idealizing the good old days. Many of them actually wanted to go back to Egypt and again stick their necks under a yoke and feel Pharaoh's lash. Little wonder that God canceled their passport to the promised land. Did you notice, though, in the passage that I just read that God specifically said Caleb would be spared because of his faithfulness? But what about Joshua? 
you know, it's funny. I've read this passage many times, and I never noticed that Joshua's name wasn't mentioned. Because this whole podcast is supposed to be about Joshua, so it might be super short. No. After reading various biblical commentary, it seems, honestly, we don't know why Joshua's name is not mentioned. But... We do know he was allowed to survive because, as we continue our story, he's the one who is going to lead them into the promised land 40 years later. Well, why is it that Joshua ends up leading the people into the promised land instead of Moses? In the book of Deuteronomy, also attributed to Moses, Moses recounts Again, why the people are not going to enter the promised land and why they're wandering around for 40 years. And then he also explains why he, Moses, would also not be allowed to enter the land. This is explained in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 51 through 52. It was an incident that had happened at the waters of Meribah Kadesh. Almost about 40 years after wandering in the desert, they come to a place where there's no water. And once again, they turn against Moses and Aaron. So Moses draws water from a rock, done this before, through the power of God, right? But this time, Moses, the Bible tells us, disobeyed God. God had told Moses to speak to the rock. But instead, the Bible tells us that Moses struck the rock with his staff. Okay, now, this might not seem like a big deal, but it is. Because God wanted Moses to trust him completely and to not go rogue and do his own thing. Moses didn't need to use force. He just needed to trust. And again, after this long relationship that Moses had with God... This was a very big deal. Moses should have known that God would honor his promise and that God didn't need Moses' help. Also, Moses took credit for bringing the water out of the rock. The Bible says he said to the people in anger, Must we bring you water out of this rock? Oops. Again, because... This was such a public display. God couldn't overlook this sin. So Moses' punishment was that he would see the land from Mount Nebo, but he would not enter it. Deuteronomy 34 verses 4 through 5 says, Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it to your descendants. I've let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. Moses was 120 years old when he died. And at this point, God calls on Joshua to lead the Israelites across the Jordan River and finally take possession of the Promised Land. The Bible tells us that Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom and 
Fortunately, the Israelites listened to him. Now, Moses had prepared Joshua for leadership. In fact, 40 years of preparation. Joshua had been Moses' right-hand man. Now, the past generation has died, and this new generation is ready to cross the Jordan River and enter the Promised Land. So, theologians believe at this point there could have been two million people who were ready to cross over. And so, God makes a covenant with Joshua. And this is recorded in Joshua chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. This is what God says. He says, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great sea, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, that sounds good. And then God continues. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Well, this is certainly a good reminder to all of us about what it takes to truly be successful. We need to be strong, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually. We need to be courageous. We need to obey God's laws, not following the ways of the world, but the ways of the Lord. We need to meditate on his word always, day and night, so that we know the difference between right and wrong and we don't waver. Finally, we need not be discouraged for God is with us wherever we go. Now, God guarantees victory in the military campaign and he vows to never leave the Israelites as long as they obey his laws. That's a little foreshadowing. So the people swear their allegiance to Joshua and he sends, oh, here we go, two spies across the river to investigate the territory. I know what you're thinking. Oh, we've seen this before. <laughs> the men enter Jericho, where a prostitute named Rahab lives. This is a really good story. God's people are literally on the other side of the Jordan River, and Joshua wants to just send a few people, not 12, just two, over to scope it out. Joshua specifically wants them to check out the city of Jericho. Jericho geographically is just on the other side of the Jordan River and it's built around an oasis. 
It's in the area today that we call the West Bank. It's actually one of the oldest continually inhabited towns in the world. Interestingly, it's 846 feet below sea level. Yeah, it's a pretty hot place. It's also potentially the very first walled city. As I told you before, the Bible told us that Joshua was really wise. So again, he sends only two spies into the land, and the Bible says he kept it a secret. He didn't make a big, bold announcement, just kind of did it on the side. Remember, because he was part of that earlier disaster, he wants to gather information, but he does not want to cause a panic. So the Bible says that the men entered Jericho, and as I said, went to a prostitute's house. Wow, <laughs> no wonder they volunteered for the job. Now, now, that's not why they went there. Think about it. A prostitute would actually be a very good place to stop and find out some information because she knows everyone, sad to say. And typically, prostitutes' homes were part of the outside wall. This was designed so her customers could escape and no one would be the wiser. Also, prostitutes were known for their discretion. So the spies arrive in Jericho and they go to Rahab's home. Now, they were apparently seen though because the king sends word to Rahab that she needs to bring out the men who came to her because they're spies. Now, Rahab hid the two men and then she bravely says to the king's messengers that, yes, uh, the men came to me, but I don't know where they came from. And at dusk, when it came time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they left. Go after them quickly. You might actually catch up with them. That's Joshua 2, verses 4 through 5. Clever. The Bible tells us that, in fact, Rahab hid the men on her roof under stalks of what's called flax. The Bible says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Wow, Rahab gave quite a testimony of who God was. Isn't it ironic that the very people whom God saved had a super hard time believing in him, but this prostitute believed not because she had necessarily seen with her own eyes, but she had heard the testimony of what he had done. 
Rahab was willing to risk everything for a god she hardly knew. Rahab did know that this god was God and he was all-powerful. In fact, Rahab is commended in the Bible for her faith. Okay, yeah, she told a lie. Rahab was under pressure of the moment and she had to make a choice. She chose to save the lives of the Israelites. In the New Testament, she's in what I call the Hall of Faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 31, the Bible commends her and says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So what did the spies say to Rahab's request for safety? This is in Joshua 2, verses 14 through 24. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you've brought your mother and your father, your brothers, and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads, will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our heads if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she said, let it be as you said. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied that scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers searched all over the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Did you know Rahab is one of only four women mentioned in the ancestry of Jesus? Yes, this prostitute, Rahab, ends up being Boaz's mother. Now, this is the same Boaz who marries Ruth, another ancestor of Jesus. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about Rahab as we continue our discussion of Joshua in the next podcast. In the meantime, let's summarize what we've learned. First, Joshua was rewarded for his bravery and faith in God and his faithfulness. Joshua knew that God's word was true and he trusted God would take them into the promised land regardless of any perceived worldly obstacles. Ultimately, because of his faith in God, 
Joshua will get to lead the Israelites into this land of milk and honey. Moses, the great leader of the Hebrew people, he doesn't get to step foot in the promised land. He disobeyed God in a very public way. And so even though God loves Moses dearly and Moses is a great prophet, God punished Moses and he was not able to enter the land promised to Abraham. Rahab, well, by the world's standards, she was a fallen woman, a shunned by society, woman of ill repute. Yet she exhibits great faith in God because of what she has heard he has done. And this faith causes her to save the spies' lives at the risk of great personal peril. Now, in our next podcast, we'll see how wonderful the plans are that God has for her life and will witness the great continued courage and faith of Joshua as he leads his people into the walled city of Jericho. This week, I'd like you to really think about what God has planned for you. Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened or discouraged. And know that the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now go be a blessing.